I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Have you ever freaked out about how quickly your children's childhood is passing? Worried you're going to forget all the little bits, the comments, the toys, the funny moments, the bits that make it so magical? Well, here's the solution. The Book of You is the most charming and innovative record of childhood that I've found, with a series of fun questions that will f- with a series of fun questions that you'll fill out every year. Things like, "What was the naughtiest thing you did this year?" and "If you're in charge for a day, what would you do?" The delightful answers will build a lasting memento that you'll treasure for years. The Book of You comes in six vibrant colours, beautifully bound in fresh linen. I not only have them for my children, but I've given to them to all my friends' children. To order your copy or to find out more, visit colorchronicles.com and for 10% off your order, use the code THEPARENTHOOD. All one word, all capital letters. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. We're constantly told that being a parent is the most important job we'll ever do. When it comes to raising the next generation, it's a job we often have a good idea of how we'll do it. Many of us imagine the kind of parents we'll be, kind but firm, patient and loving, open and honest, but with the skill of teaching them about the world in an age-appropriate way. I'm sure all of you listening who are actually in that parenting stage will agree that the reality is often far from what we'd imagined, because you need patience of epic proportions, and all of this is a lot harder with extreme tiredness. I don't think I'm alone in often feeling guilty that I'm not always parenting in the way that I'd hoped. So with me today, I've got two parenting experts who've spent a lot of time examining this dilemma. Dr. Ang Harrod Rudkin is a clinical psychologist who's worked with children of all ages and their families has spanned 15 years. She's collaborated writing books with Tanith Carey and our other guest, a journalist and author whose many books have tackled the complex challenges that parents face. Thank you both for being here um, and agreeing to talk about this slightly abstract uh, topic, but I think something that p- parents really do want to talk about, um, the idea that we want to finish our parenting experience feeling that we've done a really good job, but often the expectations that we've set it ourselves are unrealistic and we don't achieve them and we feel disappointed and then that disappointment affects the way we parent. So um, we, we, I mean, we're told that being a parent is the most important job we'll ever do. Why is this? Why is being a parent so important? I think it's the lasting legacy. I don't think any other job, I mean, prime ministers maybe um, can leave a, a lasting legacy. Um, but actually, it's the only job we'll do where our work will live on hundreds of years after we've gone. Because how we parent our babies 
it's the determines cycle. what kind of person they become. Is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And, and then so how they raise their children. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then how they raise their children mm-hmm. um, affects their children, how they raise their children. So it's just a great big cycle. Um, so it's so important to do it in a way that you feel suits you um, rather than in a way that's perfect. Because if you had, if you had a perfect parent, it would be a tragedy for a child <laughs> because they <laughs> would such good news to <laughs> they would grow up with such a sense of how could I ever be like that and um, and actually living in a very imperfect world would become intolerable for them because this isn't kind of the, the blueprint that they've been set by their parents so the very first message I would say is do not even aim to be I a perfect parent. it would be like being parented by Siri. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Emotionless and always yeah. quite vanilla. Absolutely. Always Absolutely. responding to every need. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And not leaving you as a child to develop any hmm. skills yourself because you've got this perfect parent swooping in and doing it all for you. So actually, it's very important to be imperfect. Tanith, you talked in the book about um, how formative um, childhood is. What are the most formative years? Is it up until a certain age or does the brain continue to develop throughout our lives? Well, when children are born, I mean, they have a very basic structure for the brain and it sort of develops from the floor, the bottom floor up and how that brain develops and how children become emotionally able to deal with their, sorry, how they are able to deal with their emotions is very much down to how we parent them. So we can give them better types of emotional regulation that work better for them. So I think that how being deeply empathetic as a parent and helping to see the world from their point of view and respond accordingly is really important in terms of like in the first seven years, were you saying, Gary? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what is what research has shown that actually, as first two to three years is is absolutely well, they crucial. They talk about the first thousand and one days. Don't that's they? it. Yeah. That's it. Um, because um, there's kind of one very popular theory at the moment about attachment the- um, theory, and it's about your first relationship that you have as a as a human, which will probably be with your primary caregiver, usually mother, not necessarily always so, will set the blueprint for all future relationships. And that relationship with your primary caregiver, it doesn't need to be, as I said, doesn't shouldn't be perfect at all. But it should respond to your needs in a way which makes you think, well, tell you what, I'm quite lovable. Um, and um, the world's quite an okay place and actually people are to be trusted and they're the three things the sort of three pillars that if you then have that in your first couple of years and of course none of this is sort of consciously verbally um sorted in your brain it's all through senses um, then actually you grow up to be someone who's far more likely to engage with the world thinking well i'm lovable enough people are to be trusted and the world's an okay place and that opens up all sorts of possibilities then um and you mentioned we mentioned well you mentioned before when we're talking about how important this job of parenting is is that how you parent your children determines how their children will be parented is there any evidence to support i mean it's kind of the first i've really heard about it but of course it sort of makes sense how impactful is the way that you were parented what was the impact on your ability as a parent it's it's a major influencer and if you think about attachment theory so if you were brought up thinking you're lovable the world's a safe place, et cetera, et cetera. You will bring up your child then in being a parent who feels pretty much okay about themselves, um, has an okay relationship with their partner, doesn't go around feeling terrified about the world all the time. And that then is reflected in how you parent. So that's the positive cycle that can go on generation after generation. Um, if, 
you know, you've had the misfortune of not being part of that positive cycle. It doesn't mean you're stuck in a negative cycle forevermore. Um, you can change it. But what they, what research has shown is that the, the biggest influencer of how you parent is how you were parented. It's like a default position. You know, there's moments where your emotions are running high, you're hot and sweaty, and your kids are having a tantrum. Yes, it would be lovely to think about all those books and all those programs and podcasts that you listen to about parenting. But actually, how you're going to react in that moment will be dictated by how you were dealt with as a, when you were little by your parents so it's sort of the default position that we fall back on and do you think I mean I think a lot of us take our childhood for granted it sort of was our childhood we haven't really examined it it was what it was do you think it is worth when you become a parent that you maybe sit down and reflect about how you were parented and whether there are any issues that you might not even notice that might be able to be addressed that might improve your ability to parent? Yeah, I think you will inevitably be a better parent if you examine what the hotspots were in your childhood and what you might be bringing forward. Because it's not really fair on your children to kind of carry any kind of pain that you had without dealing with it first and making sure that that doesn't transfer onto them. And maybe identifying your buttons the buttons that they might press or as they grow older which what things are particularly making you angry for example you know if you came from a very authoritarian background you might regard disobedience as absolutely the worst black and white offense that could be your child could possibly commit so you might have to look at where those very intransigent ideas came from so you might have to see whether or what worked for you what whether your father absolutely struck you with terror when he shouted at you and maybe you think that's still working with your child so i think be really aware and just take it back to your own childhood and just see what's what's triggering you with your children what is the thing that really makes you angry when your children do something do you know what i mean Mm. and just try and sort of work backwards if that's possible i mean i'm not saying it's easy work but I mean, any consideration is always going to be better than no consideration. And, and from a practical point of view, if you haven't had a particularly traumatic childhood, but you think it would be worth addressing it, is this something you sit down with a therapist with, or could you just maybe discuss it with your husband or with a friend? What, how, how can you address this? I think all of those options, absolutely. You know, when you first meet your partner, it might be that you have the conversation about exes and what other <laughs> relationships you had and what worked and didn't. And you can do the very same thing as you start to become parents, when you've been parents for a while, as you head into teenage years, you know, it's constantly reviewing and coming back to your hotspots, as Tanith says, or the things that you feel like you do particularly well, or the things that just, I don't know, that just make you react in certain ways. So keeping on reviewing it, because this is a job and you have annual appraisals in your job, come back as a, as co-parents, or if, you, if you're doing it by yourself, chatting to siblings or friends or therapists, just to get that chance to reflect, why is it that I do this when they do that? Why is it I feel like this? Why am I so het up about that? Just questions that will help you understand yourself a bit better even if it doesn't translate to behavior change yeah and but obviously the the kind of the thing that makes it a bit more complicated is that most of us don't parent alone there's someone else in this dynamic so there's someone else's complex personality complex parenting history so presumably i mean i i definitely see a lot of conflict emerging within a couple about how to parent and we all know that consistency is quite important do you think you need to sit down with your partner really before you have children and just say let's let's just think about what what we're going to do what we're going to be like as parents and what we want to achieve as parents i think absolutely yeah i don't think i think that would be so incredibly constructive if we did that more and you know you can do have to do it before you have children like at any point 
what are our values what are, what kind of child are we trying to create here you know how do we want our child to look back at their childhood and just ask each other all those really important questions to see where your common ground is so important with child raising to be on the same page with your parent and and to think about what kind of parent might you say that you want to be because it's very hard for us to define or to measure how well we think we've done when we look back if we don't know what it was we were trying to do anyway so um we can't measure our success as parents by our children you know if they're having a very bad day and they've been absolute terrors and you go to bed that night and you think i am such a terrible parent that that isn't the only thing at all that is influencing your child's behavior just in the way that if they've been brilliant and amazing and they've achieved something extraordinary you can't really take that much credit as a parent you know they is these are autonomous beings who would just find their own way through life so really the, what we can do is measure ourselves as parents was i the kind of person that i wanted to be today maybe for about 50 percent of it um i was hideous for about 20 percent and 30 percent mm, it's kind of okay so it's just thinking what kind of you know when before you become a parent and all the way through being a parent what kind of parent do i want to be do i want to be fun do i want to be um overly caring do i want to be adventurous do i want to be exciting you know what is it that i want to be as a parent all of them all of them i want <laughs> to be everything <laughs> you get to scrunch that paper up and throw it all but i mean one of the tensions i see a lot between parents is like importance on academics so one parent might be like oh nine a stars at any cost and the other parent might have a more relaxed approach or discipline is another one you know how do we how strict do we want this home to be that can also cause a lot of problems i mean how and how do we address children's uh, you know misbehavior or behavior that we don't like um so i think yeah i think if we can work out our values a bit a bit more i mean to me parenting is all about producing the most emotionally resilient child and maybe the most a child who can really express their emotions and talk and trust you and feels a sense of connected with connected us with you that's what i am always trying to achieve with my children <laughs> and, and I think having children that people like I think mm. that's probably the biggest tick you could ever give yourself as a parent in a way because if people like your child then they're going to have an okay life you know it's not going to be you know guaranteed easy life but it's going to be an okay life because people will always respond to them with warmth and um, generosity um, so having likable children I think and I think a lot of parents don't see that as an important outcome um, because they do hook it, like Tan says, onto how many A stars or how good they are at the violin, or how which is a really win. simplistic way of looking at a person. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Whereas actually, you're bringing up a person who's living in a world full of people, so you want them to be somebody who people like. Well, and I suppose you also, I think, I want to raise children that are happy and for happy for as much of their life. You know, we can't all be really, really happy all the time, every day, seven days a week. Obviously, that's totally unrealistic. But ultimately if I look back at them when they're grown-ups and I think they're just content people, mm. whether or not they're in a, you know, an amazing job or a less amazing job or, you know, as long as they're happy, I think that is, for me, that's the mm. most important. I don't care whether or not they're wealthy or if that's not what they want to be. And it's taking it to the next level of, therefore, what makes children happy? What makes people happy? And if you think about what makes us happy, it's relationships. It's the people that we feel connected to, um... And if we happen to earn a bit of money or not, or we're famous or we're not, or we drive a nice car or we're not, actually the happiness comes from relationships and love. And that's what we can give our children, is the capacity to give and accept 
love in, in relationships. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the things you talk about in your book is child, I think child-centered parenting, where essentially the child is at the center of your relationship and they know it. Just talk to me a little bit about that concept. I think that concept came um, from growing evidence that actually parents and children's well-being is better, higher, if they're being brought up where the children have a voice. So what child-centered parenting doesn't mean is that the child is a boss and they rule the roost and you've got to somehow work your way around them. What it does mean is that as a parent, you listen and you ask and you're respectful of your children and their needs and then you work around that as the as the center and I, I think it also revolves around the fact that you are now a pretty fully fully formed human and they are not and they are entirely powerless and reliant on you at the beginning of their lives for their safety and their well-being so it's almost just kind of just remembering that you know your your work is well not nearly done we're never really done but you know you're you're far more ahead of the game and they are very much reliant on you so, I mean, one of the things that sort of slightly worries me about the parenting trends is, oh, you know, oh, it's so difficult and all these books about how stressed they are and the kids are a pain. I mean, I just don't think you wouldn't invite someone to a dinner party and then complain about them turning up. I think I would like to see a, a slightly more of a shift towards acknowledging that this is such a vital time in a child's emotional growth and that we are the orchestrators of that and to kind of accept responsibility and just say, well, for these years, we're going to really invest time in these children because children need time. Yes, yes. And when you think about what makes children happy, mm. if you ask children what makes you happy, um, and it's having people around them. And I think that's where we're at a bit of a crossroads that mm. our parenting that actually we're all incredibly busy mm. and we expect our children to still be happy even though we see them for an hour and a half a day. Mm. And I just think actually... Mm. It's, um, there's no ideal easy solution if there was we'd have all figured it out by now but it's just being aware of that um, well, I think there's also the danger that even if we're in the room with them we're only partially present because our phone is buzzing as mine is mm-hmm. and we're not quite focused on them we're not in the moment with them we're not sort of playing the games in a connected way yeah, yeah. and chatting mm-hmm. um, and just another thing related to what you were saying Tanith about um, child centred parenting being just about being able to think about what emotion lies behind things so when your kid's having an absolute full-on tantrum in the supermarket it's it's very very hard to do this I know but just think what what is the feeling behind what they're doing now and trying to figure that out rather than just responding to the behavior um 
children really respond well to that and can really appreciate your attempt as a parent to go into their mind a bit, which is what our books all about. So give an example of that. Say your child is screaming at the supermarket, you know, your instinct is to go, just be quiet and make a bit of a scene. Um, But actually, what could be the what could be that they're wanting at this stage? Well, they could be extraordinarily bored. Uh, They could be very hungry. They could be tired. um, They could be overstimulated by all the lights and the noise. It could be that you as a parent are in such a foul mood because you forgot to get all the food in for dinner, so you've got to get it even though you're tired and hungry. Um, And they're responding to that. Um, So they're not thinking... I'll just make an absolute scene here because I've quite frankly had enough. Um, not that they're a bit older anyway. At that point, they will just be responding to their emotions. As a parent, obviously trying to get them out of the situation and trying to keep everyone safe, but then responding to the needs um, and just trying to shift it. So do they really need to come to the shop with you? Um, do, do you have to go just before dinner and straight after school when they're going to be very tired and very hungry? Um, and it's times like when they don't want to go to school, for example, and they're standing by the door and they're refusing to go in, rather than saying, you just need to get in there, saying to them, I can see that you're feeling worried about going in there. And I, I don't know, maybe you're worried about not having anybody to play with today, or maybe you're worried because you've got PE um, and you have to get changed. Um, should we talk to the teacher to see how we can figure these things out? It just gives the child a bit of a sense of, oh, my goodness. They do seem to know what's going on for me. And that brings down the anxiety straight away. But I also think there's a tendency in modern parenting to say, oh, a child's being difficult, or the child's trying to make my life hard. Whereas I think, you know, I think we talk about attention-seeking behaviour, where actually it's probably connection-seeking behaviour. So I think that's really one of the things that we're missing a lot, is this sort of lack of connection, because we, as Angara says, we're just so busy and distracted ourselves and just trying to keep our heads above water. Mm. I know my my daughter especially just she just wants to sit on the floor with me and chat mm. or read books or do stuff mm. and you know we I, we slightly get into uh, you know if I think right I'm going to have an afternoon with her well let's do something mm. what are we going to do mm. cookie decorating yeah. we're going to go to the trampolining place and actually she doesn't want any mm. of that all she wants is my time but with no distractions not her brother not my phone not yeah. her, anything else just her. Mm. And actually, that's sort of the biggest treat you can give them. That's the biggest treat you can give them. And she won't always want that. Mm. You give her enough of that now. You know, once once she's got her fill of that, you know, then she won't require it from me so much. And any set, because some parents that I work with are like, oh my God, I'm going to be here forever having to play this game on repeat with my child about going to the cafe. And, or, you know, <laughs> is this what it's always going to be like? And I just say, no, this is absolutely not what it's always going to be like. And if in those first few years you can fill them up with all of that time and attention, they will, won't need it as much because they won't be requiring as much because they've got it in them then. And then the mother's like, do you want to play cafe? <laughs> and they're like, no, I'm fine, so I'm just a but bit also, busy. I, I think it's what Garrett was saying, like, you, you want your child to feel fundamentally liked and that you want to spend time with them. That's so important because you are their first friend and that's how they form their self-image. You know, and just going back to your point, I mean, when you do spend those afternoons, I wonder if her behaviour is even more lovely in those periods afterwards because she's, you've given her your time. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, we don't all have three or four hours every afternoon, so I mean, at least if we can give some regu- regular schedule time to each child every day even if it's only 15 minutes that's just they know is yours and it's properly good time it's not yeah. that you're quickly finishing off your email yeah and, exactly and yeah that. really it's just yeah. put away your phones and just look at them and just ask what they want to do so you know they won't need to control the situation so much if they have control over that time with you yeah or other situations and it's quality not quantity isn't yeah. it um and liking your child 
I mean, that is so important. And I think a lot of parents lose sight of that because they're so busy trying to be these perfect parents or be the kind of parent that they really thought they should be. Um, and actually they lose sight of the fact that if they like their child and that child knows that, and then they become even more likable. We're constantly told that shouting is really, really, really bad for our children. Um, but I think everyone does occasionally. Why is shouting so bad? Well, I think it's one of those things in a certain context is fine. If, you know, if someone has really pressed your buttons and you said repeatedly, no, 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 and then they've gone and done something, then shouting is just a way of expressing your anger. Um, but it's knowing when to stop. It becomes quite an appealing way of trying to vent your own difficulties and it can become something that you end up doing more and more and more of. Um, so where shouting is very much a problem is when it's in a slightly abusive relationship. So where it's m about power and control and feeling that you cannot be a parent unless you shout and mm, exert it's like your a shock and awe tactic. Yeah. But obviously, inevitably, that shock and awe wears off. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The fear, you know, mm. they turn into teenagers and they're, they're not intimidated by it. Well, anyone. having said that, it still stresses the children throughout. Mm. So it's, it's just not, no one enjoys being shouted at. Um, and it's just being aware of that. And so if you have had a bit of a shouty moment or few moments as a parent, just make sure you repair it afterwards. That doesn't mean you have to apologise if, if you just think, well, actually, in that situation, I was justified in raising my voice. Um, but it's repairing the slight um, hurt in the relationship that it will have caused and um, letting your child know that you love them still, they're still very likeable, and that you're still a mum who cares them deeply um it's just that you just got a bit frustrated but what we talk about a lot in what's my child thinking is that when you get to these conflict points then everybody's fight or flight um antennae are up and you know shouting at your child is not really if you're shouting at your child they're in a state of high alert they're not really listening to you anyway so it's better just to kind of make your point and move away until everything's calmed down and they can reprise using the rational side of their brains because once, it's like, you know, if people shout at you, you don't actually know what's being said. You're just kind of in a state of self-protection. So it's sort of recognizing, as Angara said, really when to walk away, when you can calm down and they can calm down and the message actually finally gets through. And I think some parents have gone too much the other way. So they're so fearful of causing distress in their children that they would never shout. They couldn't even bear the thought of shouting or raising their voice or even saying no to their child. And it's a very fine line. Um, so I think parents who have put themselves under that very, very sort of um, high expectation need to understand that actually children need boundaries. And um, I, I worked once with a parent who... Um, had when she looks back at her childhood she had absolutely no boundaries at all she could do whatever she wanted and she was the envy of all her friends oh my god your mum doesn't care whether you're out till this this time or whether you go to the park or not and she said she used to be so jealous of all her other friends because they had parents who cared enough to say no you need to be back by 10 or no you can't go to the park on your own or no you need to have dinner here first um so that really highlighted to me that actually boundaries is a way of showing that you care and asserting those boundaries if that means talking quite loudly sometimes or shouting is is okay and it actually helps your child understand there's a line and i need to not cross that line because if i do then there are you know consequences that are unpleasant such as being shouted up by mum or dad 
probably one of the biggest challenges parents today face is that quest for perfection. Um, the idea that when you're thinking about how, what kind of parent you're going to be, I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to do it well the whole time. And that is totally, as, as we all know, un unattainable. And in fact, you know, most there is a there is scientific evidence that being a good enough parent is what we should all aim for. Tell me a bit about this concept of, of being a good enough parent, because mm. I think to a lot of people it will be quite new. Mm. Well, this was a concept introduced by Donald Winnicott, mm. um, in which he observed that basically a, child, a parent who tries to be perfect, they then get anxious about when they make mistakes, and therefore that anxiety is transferred to the child. So it's basically to be a good enough parent, you meet their needs most of the time, you're generally empathetic, you're generally connected with them, but you don't have to be perfect in every way and it's actually quite foolish even to try so slightly slightly in this instagram generation where we're all looking at other mums looking incredible and beautifully dressed and perfectly behaved children grinning in the pictures that's slightly uh <laughs> contributing to that sort of very kind of superficial idea of perfection whereas actually we need to um give ourselves a little bit of a break and just accept that even to try to be perfect as Angara said earlier is actually uh, is actually not going to help our children no. And it's about having a happy parent. That is the most important thing. Happy enough um, parent who is a human and not a sort of highly manufactured robot or a uh, version. Yes, just a sort of a photoshopped version, really, of who they really are. So um, growing up with a perfect or trying to be perfect parent is really damaging for a child, in fact, because the messages that they're being given is unless you're perfect you're not good enough. So the very messages that you are giving yourself as a parent, oh my gosh, if I'm not a perfect parent, I'm a rubbish parent, are the very messages that your children will then absorb. I'm not perfect, therefore I'm, not, I'm useless. Whereas actually we've got this massive spectrum. And if we vaguely head over halfway occasionally on the good days, that's great if we're heading towards, you know, being relatively good. But most of the time we just bumble our way in the middle and we're sometimes good parents and sometimes not so good parents. Well, I think if we're parenting our children most of the time from a position of seeing life from their point of view, from a position of empathy and a position of being a, being connected with them so that you can communicate and they can tell you, that you, they can express every emotion to you and you can be frank and open with them. And I, I think that's really what the core values we should be trying to aim for. Yeah. Would that be right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you respect them and you like them. Yeah, and, and teaching like them how to be imperfect and how mm -hmm. to deal with that and how to make mistakes. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, someone once said to me, you know, if you're always the perfect parent and they're only mm -hmm. ever around people that talk to them in a measured way like they should and really think about what they say, when they eventually get into the world and they realise that no one's perfect and someone shouts at them when they shouldn't and someone behaves to them mm -hmm. in the way that they shouldn't, gonna, the world is going to fall apart because they've never experienced that. And, and you do sometimes see that, you know, you see a child who experiences not bullying, but a bit of nastiness and they just can't cope mm. and there is an element of you know I have had this conversation with my children sometimes people will be nasty that doesn't mean they're nasty people that means they've made a mistake and you know it doesn't mean that you can't deal with it you just have to rise above it take a deep breath and, and move on and actually whenever I feel that I mess up as a parent which is quite frequently I do give myself solace that I'm teaching them how to engage mm. in an imperfect world which is ultimately the world we live in absolutely absolutely yeah. and things like you know when I work with teenagers um, who have intense anxiety around school sometimes it's to do with the, this huge fear of failure that's been created and 
exaggerated by being brought up by parents who are so um, intent on perfection. Uh, and their fear of failure means that they can't bear to be in a classroom where the teacher tells the whole class off because they've been noisy. Um, and they get incredibly anxious because they've been part of this group being told off even though they've done nothing wrong at all. Um, and it's, it takes a lot of unraveling of that anxiety to help them deal and manage that. So I think always have your eye on the long term as a parent and think what messages am I giving chi my child now, which even if they don't seem to be having masses of impact on their behavior now, may well do in 10 years time. I was reading your book while I was away in the summer. I had four weeks off and um, was with kind of my kids the whole time and, and partly out of guilt because I feel that I don't spend enough time with them. But the bit that I remember reading was, you know, what a child wants most is a happy and relaxed carer. And, you know, I did think it is so much simpler than sometimes simpler mm. than we make it out to be. And I thought, if all I do this holidays is mm. make me happy and relaxed, that will have an impact on my children. And you don't need to download expensive apps or buy, go to special signing or whatever it is, you know, classes and teaching them special skills. Start with that and you're giving your child probably the majority of what they need. Absolutely. Thank you both so much for being here. I'm so reassured hearing you speak. It's such a sort of life-affirming conversation. Um, your book, uh, What's Your Child Thinking? I absolutely love. I'd really, really recommend it to uh, anyone who's, who's just interested in what their child is thinking and wanting the answers. Um, I've been absolutely glued to it and been buying it for lots of my friends. So thank you so much. Um, thank you all for listening to another episode of The Parenthood. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to subscribe, rate and review us wherever you download this podcast. It makes a big difference to us boosting us in the charts and helping other listeners find us you can also find me on instagram i'm at marina.fogel but in the meantime from tanith ang harrod and me thanks for listening and goodbye When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.